Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Marriott's on the move. Marriott's on the move. Marriott's on the Marriott's on the Marriott's on the move. If you are dreaming about moving to a new city to pursue the life of your dreams, this podcast is for you. Moving 18 times in 22 years to five of the top cities in America, I know it's not easy to make those decisions alone. So I help individuals develop the dream, the plan, and the move, even if we need to get scrappy to get you there. I'll be doing interviews, career and city spotlights, and sharing my crazy moving stories, tips, tricks, and scams to avoid. My Fred Framework will help you see just how attainable your dreams are. Now let's get moving. All right. Well, I'm so excited to have my next guest, Dr. Natalie Luce. She is the president of Unfeeling You. She's also an author. She wrote a book called Unsealing Your Career, which I love. I'm about halfway through and it's fantastic. It's all about women's empowerment and building your confidence. And I am just so enjoying like every single page of your book. So Natalie, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about you and how you got to this position. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I really enjoy everything about you, how you pull so many things together, so many threads together, the finance, the move, it could be spiritual, it could be physical, it's also beautiful. So I appreciate being here. Thank you. (laughs) Welcome. So I am currently the author of Unsealing Your Career, but I also have a career in the diagnostic world or in the STEM world. And I basically have pulled this book together in response to my mom and the role that my mother had played in my life. Uh, She became a physician at the age of 31. And this was at a time when I was 16, my brother was 15, my sister was 13. We were all teenagers. And it was like kudos to her for going to med school at the age of 31, but with three teenagers in tow. Right. Yeah. So Unsealing You is all about, I visit, I got to watch my mom just bust through walls, ceilings, glass as if it was not there. And it wasn't until I was in my 40s that I learned she had a way about her. And I have some of that too. I've inherited some of that. Yeah. And let's bring it all together and take it, put it into a formula that other people can follow. And so that's what Unsealing You is about. It's all about growth. It's all about taking yourself beyond where you thought you can go, having a dream and going for it. Well, and you also moved up quite a bit in your career. I mean, it wasn't your first job. Didn't you start off as a high school teacher? Yeah. I mean, so you've you've come very far since the (laughs) VP. Yeah, I went from a high school teacher to a PhD candidate, which I was shocked to even get in to become a PhD and just taking that that change from a teacher to a PhD. And then from there, I went into the corporate world 
I started off in the corporate world as a business person. I was in sales. I ran up the chain of command to become a regional director. So I managed sales teams, moved from one type of science to another. So I moved from selling products associated with research to selling diagnostic tests and talking with Mm. physicians. So in one hand, I was talking with PhDs like myself. And then on the other hand, I was talking to physicians. So I went from, in that particular role, I went from being like an MSL medical science liaison to a sales director to a national trainer. And then from there, I was able to move to another company where I did marketing half-time and then still selling to then running clinical trials. And then in the clinical trial world, I went up to the VP. So it's been a lot of different changes. Well, so what, take a step back, what led you to go from having a career as a high school teacher to actually wanting to go back to school because you spent all day in school mm-hmm. and getting your PhD? Is that influenced by your mom or what, what brought you to that decision? Well, part of it, I've always reflected like, what is my soul's desire? What is it that I really want to do with my time, with my talents? What am I really interested in? And that's, my mom wanted me to go to med school, follow her strengths, but I followed her to work. I I was in the ER with her a lot and I just didn't feel it in my soul that that's where I should be. And, but I felt like I should be teaching because I love science. I just love science. Yeah. Then I got into, I had a hard time getting a teaching job. My, you know, my first year out, I was a substitute teacher. Then I finally got a science, you know, I was teaching biology and chemistry and a lot of different courses, but in the city. And I had, it was a little bit of a culture shock for me because I wasn't aware of some of the trauma that kids had. Yeah. And I found myself doing a pulling a lot of guns and knives from kids. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I moved from that school district to a different school district and I was still pulling guns away from kids. And I was just really worried that at some point I would probably be shot. Yeah. That's scary. And it's a real threat, especially these days. Yeah. And I had to, again, do a deep dive and I'm like, yes, I love my kids. Well, of course they're not my kids, but I thought of them that way. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But I really love science. So what options are there for me? And as a high school teacher, I thought, oh, well, my options were to sell insurance or go back to school. So I decided I love science. Let's just go and get that PhD. So that's how I ended up there. Yeah. Well, how much schooling is that? That's a lot of schooling, right? It is. (laughs) So a lot of people start the PhD, even if you start your PhD from having a bachelor's degree or a master's degree, it's still the same amount of schooling. The first two years are just coursework and then you take a test. If you pass your comps and which is a lot of writing tests and then you have to stand up and give an oral exam. So people ask you questions, you answer those questions orally. You pass that, then you can go on to your dissertation. It took me about six years to get the whole thing done. Holy cow. Yeah. (laughs) And after the dissertation too, isn't there another, like, don't you have to present the dissertation? Isn't That's another big, big thing too, right? 
Yeah. So what you do is you have to write a di- write your dissertation and then you have to present. And then there you ask a bunch of questions, you answer, stand up and ask a bunch of questions. And then and you also write a grant proposal as well. And you have to support the grant proposal. Holy cow. That's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot. So I have so many questions. So let's talk a little bit about the pivot that your mom made and how that maybe gave you the confidence to make kind of your pivot into the PhD program. And then beyond, I mean, obviously you've had a very successful career afterwards. And then with all of your spare time, you wrote a book. So, I mean, that's all you like to keep busy because you have kids too. Yeah, I have one daughter and uh, she keeps me busy. But just going back to my mom. So my mom, when I was growing up, she started in nursing school, I think when I was maybe four years old and she just kept going to school and she was constantly praised by her, her teachers saying, Hey, Bevy, you're really sharp. You're a great problem solver. And at that time, my parents owned three stores. It started off with one and then they added on two others. So they had a deli and then they had two grocery stores. And my mom also, you know, on top of that, when you start a business, sometimes it takes a lot of work to make ends meet. So she also sometimes worked part-time at night while going to school. I mean, it was, so you can see where I get my heart. A lot. It was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and so anyway, she really loved the science. She just loved science. And as a nurse, she felt like she had a gift for diagnostic problem solving. And one day she was at the back of the, the deli. It was during a slow time and she was just daydreaming. It was productive daydreaming. And she thought to herself, herself, you know, I really want to be a doctor. I want to be a physician. And she thought to herself, why can't I be a physician? And she couldn't come up with any reasons. But as an adult, I could come up with tons of reasons why she couldn't. Right. <laughs> like, there's this story. I mean, three kids. Three kids. She's got two stores. Like, she's running a business already. Like, right. I mean, that had to be so hard because it's been put on her heart. Obviously, if she's articulating it out loud, I mean, think about how long you dream about things before you actually even take one tiny, tiny little step and like research it. You know, for her to actually just, I mean, what was that conversation like with your dad? That had to be like, yeah, hard. (laughs) It was funny. This is the thing with my dad and my mom. My dad is like, whatever Bevy says, we'll do. We'll support her. (laughs) Happy wife, happy life. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But you're right. I mean, I know I have a lot of dreams and it's taken me a lot of time to make that happen. She just went to it. Did you know that a bottle of wine can have up to 300 chemicals in it? Like mega purple, for instance which makes the wine look a little bit more full-bodied, but also turns your teeth and tongue purple. And they can add up to 16 grams of sugar or sweetener concentrates to that same bottle. Check the label of the wine you're drinking. Oh wait, you can't. They don't have to put it on there. You might be ingesting synthetic pesticides and not even know it. Join my Scout and Cellar Wine Club and taste the difference that the clean-crafted commitment that 23 of our vintners around the world make to you ship straight to your home. To learn more, I'll put the link in the show notes or go to scoutandseller.com forward slash Marriott's on the move. Now back to the show. All right. So yeah, let's take this a little bit further. So you wrote this book, which again, I'm loving. 
and I know you as a friend. For those that are listening, uh, Natalie and I are writing digital courses. We have an accountability pod with two other women. And so we meet every single Sunday. And what I love about the pod is that we oftentimes are all going through the same thing at the same time, right? And that's part of the reason why I wanted to do this podcast because this has been my dream forever. I've been talking about doing a podcast for a long time. And part of it is just to open the conversation. Like when you have this nagging dream, or like I referenced on the first episode, it's like an earworm. You keep feeling it over and over again. And no matter what you do, you can't shake it. But sometimes people take that leap and they just go. And then sometimes people just let it linger and and keep going in their brain over and over and over again. So I kind of meet people in the middle and I say, okay, let's articulate the dream. Let's talk through what that looks like. But there's a lot of things that come up from doubt to imposter syndrome to really like taking your book, for instance, you've got a framework. You've got a really great way to kind of say, okay, like here's a step-by-step process. This is what you're feeling. This is what you might be going through. And then how to take action. So can we pivot a little bit and talk about kind of how you feel about that? What led you to kind of want to empower other people to go through that same journey and take those steps? That's a good question. So for me, I just, I saw the steps so clearly and I felt like they needed to be laid out and put out there. Yeah. And here's the thing that I didn't tell you before. So this is like fresh off the press for you is that I wrote this book seven years ago and it sucked. It really did. (laughs) And it's so like, yes, it was an earworm. Yes. I knew I, I had to do it. Yes. I had to try to do it four or seven years ago. But then a friend of mine came to me and said, hey, there's this book club or this this place called the Creative Institute where you learn how to write a book and they take you through the process. They give you an editor. And so you really learn how to write it before I wrote it on my own, which is really interesting because a lot of people who have the idea of a book, only like one to two percent of the people will follow through on it. And I did it on my own, which is kudos and it sucked that but that's great for me yeah but it's good for me that I also knew that it wasn't really what I should have I knew it wasn't the right thing so when she invited me to do this she was going to write a book along with me I thought you know what this is my opportunity to rewrite it and they took us through and they helped us they taught us how to write so that it's more compelling and it makes a difference and they also said when you write this book, you cannot use one word of what you wrote before. It has to be completely new. Why? What was their thinking? They said that I was plagiarizing if I rewrote that. And I'm like, your own book? I know that was my reaction. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, oh, well, it sucked anyway. But then fast forward to now, the thing that's different about me now versus then I had a lot more experiences in the corporate world, a lot more successes doing the clinical research. I've read a lot more research. So I thought, you know what? Let me dive into the research a lot more now than I did then because I didn't really, I did some of it, but not a lot. And I found out that over the last seven years, a lot more research has been done about what holds women back but also Hmm. how women actually succeed. And so because of 
the intervening seven years, I was able to take the research from people succeeding, women succeeding, and layer it onto my mom's story, but also tell other women's stories about how they succeed. And it's in research and it's been peer reviewed. It's there. It's gold. Oh, that's awesome. And did you feel just a sense of like accomplishment and more pride? It sounds like than your first book. Yeah, I definitely. Oh my God. A lot more. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That had to be so crazy. So like for those of of them out there listening that want to actually write a book or like my mom has written several books and she's never really done anything with them and she wants to like, what is somebody's first step? Yeah. So for this creative Institute, this is a fantastic organization. What they do is they, you actually write with other people. So the first thing is that they have you take some courses just to learn about how to think, how to put things on paper. They also give you due dates, which is important. They also give you an editor. So the editor kind of holds you accountable, reads your stuff, gives you feedback. And then the goal is to have 24,000 words written by a certain amount of time. Your job is not to evaluate what you write. Your job is to write because the best books are rewritten, not written. Yeah, right. And then what they do is they help you find create an author group. So you get a close group of people around you to support you, to give you feedback on your book. It also helps because sometimes writing is a little lonely. You're like, it's so easy to yeah. criticize yourself, criticize your dream, criticize what you're, oh, this isn't going to be interesting. And so when you get this author group around you and you give them pieces of what you're writing, they give you feedback. And all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, what I am doing is important. I am something. Right. So it's really cool. And then after that, you go through another writing process where you refine everything. And then they give you a graphic artist to help you put that book cover together. Cool. Yeah. And then they print it. They help you get it to all the bookstores all over. They give you ideas on how to market your book. It's a really fantastic program. That's awesome. That is awesome. Is that online or is that in Michigan where you are? It's online. And so there's people all over the world that are that get into the program. Again, that's the Creative Institute. It's a it's a yeah. It's really fantastic. I love it. Well, so speaking of empowerment and kind of getting women or any of our listeners out to that next level, what advice do you have? I guess what was your main takeaway or what should be their main takeaway from your book? First of all, there's lots of reasons to be confident with your in yourself. There's so many opportunities, especially as women, to have too much of an idea of perfectionism for ourselves. And we need to let that go because perfection, being perfect is the enemy of good and good is good enough. That's number one. Yeah. And so let that go. And to help let you go, one of the things I'm talking about, I talk about in the book is how to create a brag book. And a brag book is anytime someone gives you a compliment, print it out and put it in a folder. And then when you're feeling down, just open it up and look at all the compliments that came so that you can have that sense of confidence. And I also outlined different other ways to to figure out your confidence. That's number one. Number two, 
always feel like you've got to be thinking about what is it that I want? Where do I want to serve? Where do I want to really provide assistance or help people grow? Or where do I want to help a company grow? Always be thinking about that. And then the next thing, which I didn't talk about in the book, which is very important, is as you're thinking about your career, always think about forks in the road. That when you take one position and you grow in that position, you'll eventually get to a place where there's a fork in a row where you could go right or left. And so when you take that one position, always think about how you're going to grow in that position. And once you get to the end of that vision, that you have an option, you have a fork in the road. Uh, Career growth is not about doing the same thing for like years and years and years, in my opinion. It's about following your heart passion to a point where you can actually have a choice, a direction to go right or left. And then depending on where you are in life and where your heart is at the moment, then you take that next road. Oh, that's awesome. I think that What's interesting about that is that a lot of times people come into a fork in the road with both their career and where they're living. And I think that that's one of those things where you almost get this idea. I was listening to Gabby Bernstein's podcast the other day, and she was talking about this woman who came up on stage. She did a whole Dear Gabby ask thing, and and the woman wanted to go to L.A., and she said, well, what is it about L.A.? Like, what do you feel when you think of L.A.? And she said, I just feel free. And I think sometimes that's that's in your career as well, where you think like your mother, like, I just love science. I want to be a doctor. And like the fact that she knew you love science and wanted to bring you in the emergency room, she was probably like, okay, here's a fourth. She could go right and become a doctor or she could pursue something else, but at least let her try it. It was almost like you did a, a career proof of concept. And so yeah. like, I call it a city POC where you go and try out a city for a couple of weeks to see if you like it. But you kind of did that with your mom. Like you were able to take however many times you went and shadowed her and feel like, okay, well, does this light me up? Does this make me feel excited? Do I want to go home and research more how to do this? Or I'm like, oh, that's okay, cool. Bye mom, thanks. <laughs> thanks for the hot <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's a lot of times where people are and they don't know what that next step is to figure out how to feel free, how to feel that like sense of like, I'm where I'm supposed to be. And we get locked into these little rubber band radiuses around our family or our friends when really sometimes that feeling is like, okay, am I crazy to think I want to write a book? Or am I crazy to think I want to be a doctor? Or is it doable? Like, what does that look like? You know, and, and I think that those little action steps, and I mean, that's one of the things you talk about in your book is like, that's an action step, like move forward even if you feel like you're an imposter or even if you feel like you shouldn't be because you have to figure that out first. And then once you figure that out, then you can pivot and you can make those moves and stuff. So, I mean, I, I love like that idea of the forks because it's, it's such a powerful visual mm-hmm. and you're right. You can go either way. And if you go that wrong way, you can always pivot back the next time the fork comes. Exactly. Right. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, you did that with your book, you wrote a book and you were like, okay, I'm still not satisfied another book you know like you took that one extra action step and then found the creative institute you could have just been like all right i did it i checked that box i said i wanted to write a book and i did it Mm -hmm. but now you wrote the book right like this book is fantastic so i think that there's a lot to be said for like 
not feeling like you're doing the wrong things. Like you told that story in the accountability pod about your daughter and how she loves to golf and how like mm-hmm. she's going down and practicing in the mornings or when she practices to be like be, being videoed and watching her swing and things like that. So giving her advice, like how do you coach someone that you're that close to when you know that they could be so good or they're doing the right things, they're just not giving themselves that break. Yeah, so that, and it's hard when it's your daughter, for sure. And I think with her, I got a sense that it was about her thinking of herself. So mm-hmm. with her, we started looking at, I couldn't give her adult books, but I did find a mindset book for young athletes. And I had her read it to me and tell me what she thought. And I'm lucky. She'll tell me what she thinks. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes maybe I'm not so lucky. Too much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, I didn't want to hear that. But anyway, we were reading this book about how your own thinking of yourself can limit your ability, that you're limited either by buying into other people's limiting thoughts of you, buying into your own limiting thoughts of yourself, or even your coach's limiting thoughts. And so when we got to that part of the chapter, what she said to me, and she's like 16 at the time, is, oh, it's too late for me to be the golfer. Too late. Too late. And I'm like, wait a minute, like the golfer, the woman golfer that has won more tournaments than any man was 15 when she started golfing. It's not too Uh, late. Yeah. So we had to challenge her on that. And I had to, I talked to my husband, did you tell her it was too late? Oh, I never did. No idea where she got that thought. So we we had to challenge her. So finally, well, it just challenged her thinking, what got you there? Why do you think that's true? So it's just getting her to think that through. And then finally, she made the decision. It was like, it had to, we both knew, my husband and I knew it had to be from the inside from her, that she had to discover that Yes, she could do this. And and finally, one day, well, the other thing is that she said that it was overwhelming. And that's where we talked about the skeleton. She said, it's just overwhelming for me to think about being good. I get overwhelmed. Now, I know dreams can overwhelm us. Like when I first started writing the book, it's like, oh my God, a whole book? Yeah. How am I supposed to do it? Well, it's <laughs> right. just one paragraph. After you had just written dissertations and written <laughs> yeah. all of this stuff, like, yeah. right? Like you're a writer. Yeah, it's still overwhelming. But for her, it was overwhelming. And so we talked over the summer, her te- her biology teacher gave the whole, all the students an assignment to memorize all these bones in a skeleton. And there were a lot of bones and I know my bones. And I looked at that list and I thought, holy cow, this is something. She has to <laughs> spell all this right. So we decided to get her like a, it was a fake skeleton, but a full length skeleton. So she can actually physically see, feel all the bones. And she just took it in the bite-sized pieces over the summer. And then she took the test. She got the highest grade because she took it in little bit bite-sized pieces. And so I was like, you don't have to be overwhelmed by being this as great of a golfer as you want to be. Just think of it. It's just little bite-sized pieces. And every time you see that skeleton, which we named Dead Bob, and we put a shirt on. (laughs) (laughs) She it's like just remember it's bite-sized pieces. And from there, she's decided that 
okay, bite-sized pieces. Every day I will go downstairs, at least for the next 21 days, go downstairs, hit a hundred balls for the first seven days every day. The next 10 day or seven days, I'll hit 110 balls. Then it's 120. And then we'll just see where we're at and what we need to do. And so I think that really, both of those things, just taking things in bite-sized pieces, don't get overwhelmed, just take it one step at a time made the difference for her. And I think that makes the difference for us. Like when we have a dream that makes our palms sweat to don't get overwhelmed, just take one step at a time. Don't get discouraged if it's taking a long time. Just make sure you're making progress. Have you heard of Monate or Modern Nature? I hadn't either before my friend Monica was raving about their skincare products that she's obsessed with. I took their hair quiz to find out which product line would be best for me since I just happened to be looking for new shampoo and conditioner, and I signed up for their VIP package that got me a little bit of everything to try out. Turns out, they are the first anti-aging hair care line in the world, which I didn't even know was a thing. And their products are gluten-free, vegan, and Leaping Bunny certified, which means they're never tested on animals. Now, I'm obsessed with their rich formulations that feature botanical extracts, essential oils, and other naturally-based ingredients, and I want to share those products with you. I'll put the link in the show notes, or you can hit the Faves page on my website. It's safe, EU-approved, and clinically tested by third parties. So essentially, robustness approved. Now, back to the show. Now, I love that. So I think that's that's a, a big thing that you hit on, is that sometimes people get very overwhelmed when they don't, when they have lack. Like that whole mindset, of, not even mindset, but just like, you know, if you, you don't have enough money to do some of these things, or you feel like things are so close, but you're just not hitting them. But abundance can be just as overwhelming. And I think it's that balance of taking a step back, you know, whether you need to meditate or gosh, there's so many things that you can do now, like breath work, or even sometimes just getting out and taking a walk. I mean, I'll have a stressful day at work because I obviously work full-time during the day. And sometimes it's just like, okay, I have to schedule 30 minutes to take the dogs on a walk, take in some fresh air, and then I can go back and sit in front of the computer and do the numbers and and do whatever it is that I have to do. But sometimes that overwhelm can seem so devastating because you're like, I know that I'm, this is good and I'm supposed to be happy and exciting. And it's, it is hard. So, and I think that's a very normal people that sometimes people don't know that that it's normal. Yeah, I get that. There's something inside of me blocking that I have to get through. I have to get through the block. And that's where journaling for me makes the biggest difference is writing out, just having a conversation with God. God, this is where I'm at. And then just sitting there with the pen and imagining God writing to me back, Natalie, and then whatever comes to me comes. And I learned so much. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I just recently got into journaling. Jenna Kutcher, who I absolutely adore and I follow, she wrote a book called How Are You Really? Which is, it's another fantastic, like, inward look at, like, really, how are you? Like, that's a hard, sometimes everyone's like, oh, how are you? And you kind of just, nobody really thinks that anybody wants to know how you really are. But she started her journaling practice and she, she, jokes that she has this graveyard of journals. And I, and I was like, as she was saying that I was like taking one out of my graveyard to like, maybe I should start journaling too. (laughs) But I really loved it because it's simple and it's, and journaling doesn't have to be a ton. Like in her journal, she's got 
like three things and it doesn't, it lets you decide what those are. Like you can be three things you're grateful for. I think three things you accomplished that day, three things you want to get done tomorrow. Like, and then it's just a tiny space of writing. Cause I know for me, and I love the idea of like writing to God or writing to the universe or whoever, someone's higher self. There's so many different ways that you can address that. But I think taking in that like weight, your ability to like verbally process. And then once it's out there in the universe, letting the universe come to you and say, okay, I got it. Now move forward. That's a, probably a pretty powerful tool for you. I'm like 10 days into journaling. So I'm, I'm still new. I haven't had that conversation yet with dad, but uh-huh. maybe I need to start. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So many good things. So well, I have to ask, well, you live in Michigan, right? So mm-hmm. if money was no option, where would you live? Obviously we talk a lot about moving on this podcast, but where would you live? You know, that's, so I knew know that you were going to ask this question. Right? <laughs> I knew you were going to ask this question. And so I was thinking about it and I was thinking, God, I, I really would like to live in a lot of different places. And I thought in my heart, would I really want where I live in Michigan, I just feel like I have a slice of heaven, at least in the summer. <laughs> and I love that. <laughs> it is so wonderful here. But what I would, what? I would really love is to move to a boat, look, mm. keep the house in Michigan, move to okay. a boat that's on a slip that where we can travel to lots of different places safely. Oh, <laughs> that's awesome. Safely, of course. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. First, I've gotten that answer. So I love that. There's been so many places that I've lived that I, I know there's still so many more. Every time I visit someplace, and I have to get out of this habit because I do love the Carolinas and I, I think this is home for me. But I often go to a place and I'm like, oh, could I live here? Like that's my mindset, having moved as many times as I have. But where can, well, one, I know you can buy this book on Amazon because that's where I got it. Where can people find you? I know there's, you have a website on feelingyou.com. Mm-hmm. What's your social? Where can people find you? LinkedIn. At the moment, I'm still building my social in other places, but LinkedIn and of course, my book is on Amazon. It's also at Barnes and Nobles. It's libraries can purchase them. So it's widely available. And like you said, unsealing you like the ceiling above you. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Well, I will. I know I post on my, my LinkedIn page. So if somebody's already linked in with me, they can find you through that page. We'll do a spotlight on you on the Marius on the Move LinkedIn page. And if we watch this on YouTube, they can meet your kitty. <laughs> What's her name? Or his name? This is Gracie. So cute. She's a tuxedo cat. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Natalie Luke. It has been such a pleasure to catch up with you. I can't wait to hang out with you again on Sunday. And I just, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Well, I could go on forever and ever about moving you closer to your dreams, but I should probably save some thoughts for the next episode. A big thanks goes out to you for making time for me today. In making time for me, you are making time for future you, and we are both grateful. Thank you also to my podcast editor, Brendan Newsom, and my brother, Edward, who helps me with everything from my pics and social to keeping me sane. If you want to keep in touch, jump on my website, marriottsonthemove.com, or follow me on Insta or LinkedIn, where I also have a page for Marriott's on the Move, like I do on Facebook. Until next time, keep moving towards your dreams. Bye for now. Mary
Marriott's on the move. What? Marriott's on the move. Again? Marriott's on the, Marriott's on the, Marriott's on the move. Ooh.